three, two, one. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Infinite Leaders Live. I'm Lewis Keynes. Our why is all about being better. We want to support infinite learning and for everybody involved in education, regardless of their role, to be willing to listen, learn, and share in order for us to all be better educators and better humans. I'm joined today, as usual, by my colleague and friend, Alan Dunstan. Thanks, Lewis. Really looking forward to diving deeper into understanding how leaders with an infinite mindset translate this across to their teams. We want to focus on the things you don't get taught at university or any courses. We want real life lessons from real life people with real life experience. Uh, we're learning as we go through this. This isn't our day job and we're also recording live. So there are bound to be a few mistakes, as I'm sure you've seen in previous episodes. But as ever, uh, we would love your feedback. Uh, please get in touch via Twitter on anything that you think that we could improve. And we've had some brilliant suggestions so far from people and also on the things that you think that we've been doing well. We do really appreciate the time you've taken to feedback to us. Um, Alan, let's crack on. Can you introduce today's guest? Today's guest is my wonderful wife, Rebecca Russell. She is the head of senior school at British School Manila. She's worked her way up from being a physics teacher to head of department, assistant head, deputy head, and has worked in a number of countries, including the Philippines, Qatar, Spain, and the UK. And she has a great journey to share. So get your pens and paper ready. No doubt there'll be some absolute gems of wisdom along the way today. Bex, how are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Back in the UK now, so I'm, 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 feeling, I'm feeling great. Being in this fresh air is making a, a world of difference. Um, thank you both of you for having me on this. Appreciate that. How's, uh, how's COVID-19 affecting you? And you're very welcome, by the way. Um... You know what, I think everybody's got a story to tell their COVID journey, haven't they? But uh, as a head teacher, um, it's been hugely challenging, leaving the site, leaving the students, leaving the staff. Um, I, I guess along the way, I've realized how much I need social connection, but not in this way. This, this doesn't work for me as much as actually being physically in the building, physically with people and around people. Um, so, so the challenge has been very real for me in that respect. Um, as a mum, it, it's been hugely challenging, and I'm sure this resonates with most parents out there that, that <laughs> trying to distance learn whilst trying to do a job, whilst trying to be a wife, whilst trying to look after a house is, um, yeah, it, it's had its moments. But uh, so six weeks in Manila, um, and I think I'm on my sixth week in the UK. Um, but now Alan's here, we're united as a family again, which is, which is great. Yeah, thanks for that. It's it nice to have us all back together again. It's interesting you talk about a COVID journey. Let's just take it back to your younger days and, and just briefly, how, how have you got to being a senior leader like you are and, and some of the challenges you've, you've had along the way? Mm. Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an unconventional journey for me, I think. I, um, if we go right back to, to, to when I was a lot younger, I actually grew up in a place called Ware in Hertfordshire um, and started my secondary experience there. Um, and within about six months of being in year seven, my mum and dad moved me and my, my brother and sister up to Yorkshire, which was a bit of a culture shock in itself. Um, and I started, I started a comprehensive school up here and very, very different to my previous school. So I kind of went from being someone that had a really good work ethic to someone that was suddenly had a very funny accent compared to, to most people that I, I was now immersed 
into this school um, and it was survival for me. I can just remember walking in and thinking, oh my God, this is so alien to me. Um, and so I went through school and I found the whole experience very, very negative. I didn't particularly enjoy school. There was maybe one, maybe two teachers that I really felt cared for me, were, were a little bit bothered about me. But other than that, it was dog eat dog. And I just tried to get through that. I had some great friends. I had a, we had a good laugh. Um, but, but in terms of getting anything academic, anything holistic from my experience of school, I didn't get that. So I left school. Um, I got a job. I enjoyed, you know, I, I was a physical therapist. I really enjoyed that for a time and then got bored. Went back to, went back to college, wanted to be um, a paramedic, actually, at the time. Um, I'd gone from wanting to be a, a Hollywood movie star to being a paramedic to join. I'd, I'd gone all over the place. Um, and then I got to college and I had a chemistry teacher. <clears throat> Can't actually remember his name, but I do remember they looked like Mr. Bean. And um, he was an absolute inspiration to me. I, I can remember sitting in the, the old fashioned labs and thinking, wow, if I'd have had a teacher like this, I'd have just loved school. I'd have loved science. Um, and, and I would be in a very different place to where I am right now, which was in my late teens. Um, sat back at school, basically, retaking a few things. And then I guess forward winding from there, really, my, my journey changed a lot because I went from not wanting to be um, a paramedic. I don't really know where that, where that came from, in a way, because I genuinely feel that my, my calling was to be a teacher and, and to give the kids an experience that I didn't have at school and give them that guidance and support and care that I certainly didn't feel when I was, when I was at school. And so it took a, a different direction for me. So... I kind of, I went into to science, um, a bit of a strategic move because I was a bit older and I wanted to, I wanted a job. I needed a job and I knew that, that female scientists were scarce. So I knew that I'd always get a job and lo and behold, I always got a job. Um, went onto the international circuit, as you've already um, said, Alan, from Spain to Qatar um, and then onto the Philippines and just kind of worked my way into different roles, really. And I know that people say that they're promotions, but for me, I wasn't really a glory seeker. I'm not ambitious like that. But when I see jobs that I think, oh, I quite fancy that, 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 that I think I'll, I'll be able to add value to that, then that's how I've ended up where I'm at now, um, with a challenge where I can really feel that I can make a difference in people's lives. So you touched upon there, you had a really negative experience yourself at school and you feel now that that's a calling that's that's quite a jump from having a negative experience of something that you really disliked and you really didn't want to be a part of mm -hmm. to then working out and realizing that this is something that that you really want to do and you want to pursue so other than the, the one chemistry teacher that really mm -hmm. inspired you what what changed you your direction on that how did you get to that place where suddenly you thought a school is where you want to be and, and where you should be you know what, when we're at school, it's, it's so difficult to try and find your way, isn't it? And, and try and know who you are as a person. And I'd, I'd, looking back now, I recognise that the transition of, of moving from down south, up north, moving schools, changing friendship groups, all of those things were, were, were massive in my life. And, and 
they weren't recognized and and I think had they have been I think I'd have been in a very different place going through school um and so those those negative experiences that, that I had I think they did they shaped the way the way that I now approach things um and I did need to, I felt like I was just surviving every day and I didn't really have a, a good sense of who I was and what I wanted I felt like I needed to fit in um and the person that walked into the school on that Monday morning was not going to fit in. And, and I suppose moving forward from that into college and going back into that, I was suddenly exposed to all these different people um, with different life stories from, from different backgrounds. And I suddenly realized that actually it's okay just to, to be who you are. Um, and had I have had someone that had just told me that at school, that it was okay just to be authentic, just to be yourself. And I think I might've had a bit more of a sense of belonging. Um, Self-acceptance, I'm not really sure whether we all fully accept ourselves ever, but um, I didn't even know that these phrases existed at school. Um, and, and where I am now, I just don't wanna see kids having experiences like that. I think that there's so much more that you can get from school, from the school experience. And, and for me, I needed to go through that in order to get to, to a place where I really felt like I could be that person that made a difference in a school. Uh, naively went in thinking that I could save the world, of course. Um, and, then, and then was the reality of that kicked in and actually you can't save all of them, but you can save some of them and you can guide some of them and you can show them that you care and you hope at the end of their journey, they look back and see that. It's, it's really interesting to talk about that, about that fitting in and, and that survival, because I think we've probably all had similar experiences that when you grow up in council estates up in, up in Yorkshire. Um, could you just tell us a little bit more about what your guiding principles are and how they then have helped shape your career moving forward? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, working hard has always been a, a really a big thing for me since I left school, not whilst I was at school. But since I left school, I always felt that I needed to prove myself in a way and earn my stripes. And the way that I did that was to work really hard. And I think, I think that that's a great character trait for anybody to have, just to put a bit of graft in. You know, if you see people stacking those chairs after assembly, go help them stack the chairs, um, leading by example and, and being authentic. Um, you know, we, were, we, we talked a little bit about this <clears throat> earlier and just being yourself because it's such, it's so hard to be anybody else. And actually the qualities and the, the strengths that you've got that lie within are actually worthwhile. They're worthwhile um, sharing with others. And I think that that shapes who you, who you are. Um, so for me, kindness, kindness. I don't know whether anybody listening has ever done the VIA strengths survey, um, but sometimes I, I thought that kindness was a bit of a weakness in me actually. Um, and, and, but actually the more I think about it, do you know what, that's, that's a pretty decent strength to have. And, and I came out at number one on that. So I was pretty happy about that. Um, so my guiding principles would be just to, to be kind, to be authentic and, and work hard and, and dotted into that, have a little bit of humor because your days aren't always good. Sometimes as a leader, they're really tough. They're really tough days and you can't share that with many people. Um, and, and the higher up the ladder you get, the more lonely it becomes. And so to, to pepper in a little bit of degrimming, a little bit of humour helps along the way, no end. Um, and then my overarching principle, which, which 
which I guess umbrellas everything is just to be student centered above everything else is that every child matters. I know that that was a mantra for many, many years ago from the UK government, but it absolutely is true. Every child matters. Unpick that for us a bit, Bex. What does that mean? Every child matters. Yeah, what, what does that mean to you? How, how does that look in, in what you do as a day-to-day -day, um, role, in your role as a teacher? It's interesting because when you talk to kids about their favorite teachers or their experiences at school, they, um, they don't remember lessons. They remember how, how people made them feel and that people actually cared about their journey. And, and the issues that you have as a student quite often are very insignificant to us as adults because we know how to self-regulate. You know, neurologically, we're, our, our brain is fully developed and we know how to respond to things. But when you're a year seven, eight or nine kid and you know, you've got friendship problems and things aren't working out at home with your parents and these are real problems to kids. And just to have that trusted adult I think makes a huge difference that they're heard and that their feelings are validated. And whilst academics are hugely important, I understand that. Um, you know, I've got two kids and I want them to do well. I want them to pass their exams, but I want kids to be content. Not happy, because I think there's a difference. You can't be happy all the time, that's not life. Um, but to be content with where they are in the moment and know that there's people around them that genuinely care about them. That will, that will listen to them. Um, I think it's hugely important that schools offer a, a holistic education, not just on paper, but they've actually got those systems in place that, that lay behind the scenes, that pastoral network of care, um, where you're upskilling kids. You're not, you're not providing a crutch, but you're giving them skills and coping strategies to be able to, to face whatever challenges are thrown at them. Yeah. I just picking that apart is is how do you then translate those guiding principles and those ideas of being student-centered and caring how do you get that across to your staff mm. I think number one thing is you've got to you've got to create that culture in your in in your school um, and having a shared vision and, and and having a real clear clarity on on your mission how are you going to get there what's going to what's going to take you to that place and I think without having people on board and having that shared vision, I don't, I don't think it's possible to do that. Um, what I will say is that the school, the school that I work in at the moment, there is a shared understanding and you can tell, you can tell. And, and I think if you're a real true educator and you went into education for the right reasons, it's, it's something that may have been lost along the way, but actually it's there, but like you care about kids. That's why you went into the profession that you're in. And, and frankly, if it's not why you went into it, you, you probably shouldn't be doing it. You probably should go and find your calling somewhere else. Um, and so setting that culture from day one, um, leading by example, letting people know that actually these are the priorities in, in our school. This is what matters. Uh, I know that we, we talk about a, a lot about living what we, what we say. And, and a lot of that is, is role modeling to the staff, to the students that actually you know, you're not, you're not just preaching, but you, you're living this, you're practicing this yourself um, and, you, and you're taking care of yourself and you're sharing that vision with your staff. That, that role modeling part of it that you just touched upon, I'm, I'm, I'm going to praise you a lot for a few seconds because in terms <laughs> of being a, a people person and caring and, and, and being there to support and help people, 
you know, you're, you, you're absolutely fantastic at that. And, and being somebody who works with you quite closely, that's something that you feel. How do you, how do, you do that and do everything else that you do in terms of responsibilities and roles that you have, but still find that time to give people your time and to give people your, your thoughtful analysis on things and to give people your support? Well, thank you for that. That's, that's nice to hear. Um, <clears throat> Seven years ago, eight years ago, seven or eight years ago when I became a deputy head, <clears throat> I remember sitting in Simon Mann's office. And, um, and again, I did it when I got the head of senior role as well. And just having this overwhelming fear of imposter syndrome and thinking, I'm not really quite sure how this has happened. And why, why, am, I, why am I here? I, I don't have the skills for this. I don't have the qualifications for this. And it all became very overwhelming. And Simon said to me, just be yourself. Just be authentic. Draw on the things that you're good at. What are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? I enjoy being around people. I enjoy chatting. Use your skills and connect with people by doing what you do. And I kind of, for, for some people that might seem very, very simple, but for someone that has come through life and, and not been a high achiever, actually, um, Potentially I could have been, but I, I chose not to be. That was a choice that I made when I went through school. Um, and, and always feeling that I had to prove myself or to fit into a mould that, that would be accepted by others. That was really powerful to hear that from him. And actually, who I am, that's it. That's all I've got to give. And, and I think that when you, of course you change and you evolve and you get better as a person, but those those initial strengths that you've got and those characteristics um, help. They help people to see that, you know, whilst you are a leader and, and you're trying your best to do that, actually you can connect with them in a really human way. Um, and, and I think that showing that vulnerability and saying, you know what, I, I don't know, but I'm going to sit here and I'm going to share, I'm going to share your struggles with you and, and I'm going to take you for a coffee and we're going to talk this through. Let's see where we can go with this. I think that that counts for a lot. Um, and investing time in people is never ever wasted time in my opinion other things can wait but if you've got people that, that, that you're surrounded by that know that at a drop of a hat they can call on you that you'll be there that you'll listen that you've got you've got a sense of empathy and understanding I think that that goes a long way yeah and I can do that I think I can do can I can I just ask you on on how you then deal with negative people who don't necessarily share your values who don't want to be brought along on on your journey and what, what do you do with those teachers or, or adults that you encounter in your life yeah it's it's tough it's tough and i think that that stems back to to years ago having this dream of being able to save everybody and to bring everybody on board <clears throat> but actually some people you just can't bring on board and and i think that that's that's an acceptance that you have to have um, as a person, not as a leader, just as a person. Um, and, and everybody needs to take responsibility for where they are in their life right now. Um, I do find it difficult because I'm, I, I tend towards optimism. So I, I try and do that the best that I can. And at times when I'm surrounded by negativity, that has a personal effect on me as well. Um, and I find that I found that tough. But equally, because I'm so passionate about what I believe in, I'm quite happy is probably not the right word. Willing. I'm very willing to have those difficult conversations and sit down with people. 
but I'd hope that I've got credit in the bank to be able to have those those candid and, and straightforward direct conversations with people in the staff. Um, and ultimately, you know, what if people don't share your vision? That must be quite an unhappy place for them to be as well. Um, and maybe they need to be introspective and, and have a little think about where they are and, and is it the right place for them and their careers and them as people also. How do you balance that out there? Because you talked then about you have people that sap the energy out of you a little bit. You refer to those negative people. How, how do you retain that equilibrium? How do you get that back after you've had one of those conversations or one of those days that, that really is a struggle? Well, it's, I wrote something down, actually, that I wanted to share with you guys, and I didn't know whether I'd get the opportunity, but I think I have. Um, as well as Simon Mann, when I, when I got my job as, as a head of senior, my dad sent me something, and, um, and I'll read it to you, because this is what gets me through. Surround yourself with the dreamers and the doers, the believers and the thinkers. But most of all, surround yourself with those who see greatness within you, even when you don't see it for yourself. And for me, I need to make sure that I have a network of people around me that, that love me, that appreciate me warts and all. And, um, and that's how I get through it. I, life is not about positive times all the time. That's just not, you know, you're not going to be happy all the time. Um, so I surround myself with people like you guys. Sometimes Alan drives me nuts, but, but ultimately these are spaces that are safe for me to be able to, to, to let them steam off. And so if I have a bad meeting somewhere over here, I go over here and I have a coffee with someone that I know that's going to lift my spirits and put things in perspective. And the second thing that I do is it's the way that I look at things. I think in terms of those, um, those down days, those days that are pretty difficult and challenging is that every bit, every conversation is, is a bit of inset for me. It's a training ground. And I know that, that every conversation that I have is going to make me better at having those conversations later down the road or seeing, seeing their perspective. Because, you know, life, life is challenging for all sorts of reasons, for all sorts of, you know, we don't know what their stories are at the other side. And taking time to listen to that, I think it pays dividends. Um, but negativity is never a good place to be. So you've, you've got to have, you've got to have that pivot that just um, that sways that for you and gets you back on track. I love that idea that every conversation's a, a learning opportunity. I think that's brilliant. Love that. Yeah, I'd 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 like to just learn a little bit more there. I mean, we probably have listeners that that are very interested in how you deal with difficult conversations or protective conversations, whatever you want to call them. How, how do you how do you approach those and, and what any tips out there for the guys that, that are really trying to learn how to deal with those situations? I suppose when I, when I think about difficult conversations, I think that they should always be difficult. I don't think that, that leaders that go into conversations looking forward to those sorts of things or maybe even enjoying them. I don't think that's, probably the right way to see those things but acknowledging that that this is a difficult conversation to have acknowledging that that person that sits in front of you has got to receive that message and I think that you can always give hard-hitting messages even if it's worst case scenario um, with kindness I genuinely think that and I think that you can you can you can you can give the most difficult conversations with a little bit of discernment behind that 
and, and empathy for the, for the situation that you're in. Um, even with child protection issues, you know, some, some of the worst case scenarios, the worst meetings I've ever sat in, where I've had to have very difficult conversations with people, you do it, you do it with a bit of a heart. You know, you, you've, you've got to have those conversations, but they're, they're people at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, maybe it's down to personality as well. But for me, I don't want to go in and have confrontation with people. That's not my way. I want to go in and I want to, I want to have a conversation, an open conversation, honest conversation. Um, sometimes I get criticized for the amount of time I spend in meetings. And um, one particular colleague who will know who she is if she listens to this, um, used to say, oh, come on, 20 minutes in and out. And, and I would say, no, we, we dedicate an hour to this because it's actually worth listening to people. Um, and so I guess if you're asking me for tips, I'm going around the houses here really, it's just to acknowledge that, that these are people, these are human beings. And you know, sometimes people make mistakes and they need to acknowledge that and see that. Sometimes you, you, you're having difficult conversations and people are losing their jobs at the end of it. That's also tough. Regardless of what, what, you know, what lies behind those stories, that's tough. Um, but doing it with, with kindness and with empathy helps. You mentioned earlier um, vulnerability, a, a word we've talked about at, at length. Can you give us some idea of, of what role that plays in leadership and, and, and certainly maybe, maybe show some vulnerability and, and share with us something where, where you, you've, uh, you've learned something through failure or, or through a real, maybe a, a bit of a mess up? Yeah. Vulnerability is it's such an interesting word, isn't it? And I know that we've had many a debate about this because it's, it's seen as almost a negative word. Uh, and when you describe vulnerable, you're talking about vulnerable children or vulnerable staff. And, and actually, vulnerability is so much more than that, um, as you taught me, really, actually, Lewis, um, in terms of just opening yourself up to acknowledging that it's okay to have those weaknesses. And it's also not just that, but taking it a step further and sharing those, sharing those vulnerabilities with other people um, in, in, in that safe space, I think is just hugely powerful. Um, and it breaks down so many barriers between you and staff, because whatever people say, it's always us and them. Um, and, and again, that was one of the myths that I went into. I, that's not gonna be how it's gonna be for me. You know, um, and it's not gonna be SLT and staff you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to try and, and break that down. That's just not true. Um, and, and I think showing, showing staff that you don't have the answers all of the time. And that, that's just okay. That's okay. Because someone next door, the people that you've built your network with, they have the answers. You've got people that you can call on that have got those answers. I think it's hugely powerful as a, as a human being, not just as a leader. So go, go a step further for us, Bex. Give us, um, Give us an example of something that you maybe learned the hard way. Oh, do you know what? I learn things the hard way all the time. Um, and I, I, you, you touched on failure earlier. I can't, I can't pinpoint huge disasters in my life, or well, certainly not ones that I'm going to share with you, but that not huge, <laughs> you know, huge failures that have, that have been eureka moments for me. It, it actually have these little failures all of the time, every day, I, I think oh, maybe shouldn't have done that. Oh, maybe should have thought about that a little bit more. Um, next time I'll do this. And I have those, I have those regularly. And I think the vulnerabilities for me um, 
our imposter syndrome, that's a real vulnerability for me. I, I feel that I've just got to earn my stripes all the time. And I think that's where my values lie in terms of hard work. Um, and not really knowing, not feeling sometimes that I've not, I just can't do this. I can't do this. I'm walking into a conference room. I can't do this. What is this? This is crazy. Why am I here? Um, and then taking a step back and taking a breath and thinking, you know what? You worked hard for this. You've done it before. Go out there. You slip up on a sentence. It's okay. It's fine. You can do it. You can do this. And, and, and I don't know whether that's because I'm a woman um, and, and that that's quite difficult to be in a male dominated um, business really where where you are you are the minority I don't know whether it comes from that or whether it's deeper rooted than that and it goes way back to to kind of childhood and the experiences I had there but um not sure not sure but vulnerable all the time <laughs> that's okay I've accepted what, it what advice there so you, you go back to your childhood what advice would you give to your younger self and what, what would maybe if you've done differently or you've had any regrets how, how would you approach that again as a as a younger Rebecca you know what? And it gets even worse, that question, when you have your own kids, right? And you think, oh, all those things that I wish I'd have done or not done when I was, when I was a teenager. Um, number one would have been, Rebecca, you're not as fat as you think you are. That would have been the first thing because that was a huge hang up for me. You know, I was, I was tall and I used to get picked for that blooming M squad on cross country every week. I hated it. And um you know, just because I was tall and I had long legs and, oh, God, I hated it. But, um, you know, yeah, just, just be, be kinder to yourself and just know that, that enough is sometimes okay. That's well, okay. Would that still be relevant advice you touched upon earlier? And I thought, I thought it was a really, um, you know, a, a decent observation to, to go back to, that females in leadership positions in school you feel are a huge minority. What, what advice would you extend to... to the females that are considering you know really trying to push on in their careers and, and that do want to go into positions of leadership yeah i read this thing uh, not long ago i can't remember who it was from now but it said if there's not a table at the chair for you bring your own bring your own chair just bring that fold up chair and stick it at the table and i'd say to any woman out there you know dig deep because it is different it's very different being a female leader than it is to being a male leader and i think what what comes with that it is especially if you've got a family is the guilt that comes with being a female leader is, is unbelievable and and i thought it was just me until i started networking with with female leaders and and actually it's something that resonates between all of us um and and if you if you want to pursue stuff pursue stuff because you can make it work um and people some, something that's kind of I've picked up along the years really is that the people have this work-life balance. Um, that doesn't really work for me because I think that I'm lucky enough to have a job that is part of my life. It's not something that I pigeonhole and actually I see work as life and I see life as work and everything intermingles for me. Um, and I think that that was that, that change, that change in that perspective for me really changed the way that I looked on that guilt as a mum, as a leader, because actually you can be both and you can do both pretty well if you put your mind to it. Um, and having a job that you love, we're lucky enough to be in that position. Many people aren't, but we are. 
And so to pigeonhole work, and now I'm going to be a different person because I'm at home, that doesn't wash me. It doesn't work with me. It would, it would bring too much guilt with it. Instead, I think, you know what? I love what I do. And yeah, I'll check a few emails in the evening, but I'll still take the kids and, and I'll read to them as well. And we'll still have dinner together. There's some non-negotiables there for me. So women out there, if you're wanting to pursue leadership, you just go for it. Go for it. Find someone, surround yourself with people that are going to help you get there and support you and encourage you. Brilliant message. Uh, I, that project you did at BSM, Rebecca, where you had women as leaders, do you want to just explain a little bit more on that? Because that was really powerful for, for women at our school. And I think there'd be, there'd be people out there really interested in that. Well, it was actually, um, it was spearheaded by an ERCOS conference that I went to in Bangkok or KL. Um, and and me, and me and a colleague, Anna, we, uh, we rocked up to this seminar and we thought, oh, it's run by women. Oh, God, okay, let's see. Let's see what it's like. And we went in and it was just inspirational, life-changing. What these women were, were, were saying was just, it was like looking in a mirror and, and hearing all these women saying, saying the same things. And, um, and I thought, you know what? Women need, need to create a sisterhood. And, and quite often we're portrayed as being the opposite and that we're competitive and that we gossip and that we stand in the corridors and you know we're backstabbing it's just simply not true um not not certainly not true for people but don't get me wrong i do like a little bit of a gossip but um but you know just creating that network for women to to be open and candid with each other was was hugely important and i hadn't realized that until i'd, I'd walked into this workshop um, so I took it back to BSM and Anna and I rolled out a program, um, one, only one a term, it was only three, one a term, just to really focus on us, on us, just as women, not as anything else, no other role that we played, but just as women. And um, it really opened up a network of, of people that you wouldn't usually speak to. And actually all of a sudden you had these, you were surrounded by women that had got your back women that were experiencing the same sort of things women that you could walk into their room and say you know what I was up all night with the kids man and they were saying you know it's okay I'll cover that lesson for you you were you were suddenly empowering women to to be more than they thought that they could be and I, I think that that's hugely important in in the context of education and in the contents of women being in leadership but also just being you just being a woman and, and, and a lot of baggage comes with that at times and just stripping that all away and saying, let's just, let's just look at you. Where's your network coming? Where are your strengths? What do you enjoy doing? Who are the people in school that are your go-to people? Um, and filling those gaps because quite often you have the same people that you go to and that's, that's unhealthy too because you're putting so much pressure on those people to be everything to you. Whereas actually maybe you need another couple of other people um, to, to fill those gaps so that the role is shared. Um, so I really enjoyed that. That would be something if I, if I was staying on, um, I, I would open back up again and I'd get that, I'd get that running again. It was hugely important and empowering for me as well. Found out a lot about myself in those sessions. So tell, tell us where you're going next then, Bex. So we are professionally, physically, personally. Um, well, you we're, we're going to uh, we're heading off to Riyadh um, 
So ho hoping that we get there in August sometime. So we've, we've been at BSM now for eight years. So it's the, the school where professionally and personally I have grown exponentially, like enormously. And, and I have a, a, a lot to, to be grateful for in terms of what BSM allowed me to do and gave me the autonomy to do. So we move on to Riyadh. Um, I'm taking a sideward step. I'm going into to be deputy head, something that I really fancied. I really um, feel that I can I can add something and contribute to the culture there. Um, obviously, Alan's Alan's coming along, and so are the kids, and, and maybe the dogs. So a new a new adventure for us, um, and and one that's at, that's that's ended quite quite badly for us in a way. And you know, trying to put a positive spin on having very little closure to our eight year experience after COVID is gonna be something that I think later on down the road, we'll have to process as a family because it's pretty, pretty tough for us. Yeah, um, we, we've got three quick fire questions to uh, finish with. Okay. <laughs> First one, what book are you reading at the minute? Is it any good? Yeah, I am reading. I normally read all the ones that Alan recommends because he reads them all and says, no, it's not worth it. So I don't bother. So this one was one that he recommended, which is Rebel Ideas. Um, is that Matthew Saeed? I think it yeah. is. Um, yeah. So really, really learning loads from that book about the, the power of and the importance of diversity in your team. Um, not surrounding yourself with yes people, but actually having different people um, different people in your team to add different perspectives um which is why if you're a woman you need to pull up that chair around that board boardroom table important important for diversity great book yeah one for my list big things there on echo chambers and, and yeah. particularly in, in the current situation at the moment getting all the different opinions as to how we move forward after covid19 super important mm. um having spent eight years at BSM, does, does leaving a legacy matter to you? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. What would be the point? What would be the point if you didn't leave, leave a legacy? I think, it's, I think probably the, the, the take on it would not be if you're leaving something in, in a better place, but whether you, you're leaving people in a better place, whether you're leaving... Um, you've left something there that is sustainable even when you're not there. I think that that would, that, that's just, that's great. And if you've, if you've given people anything that they can go on and be better people to be, that's a great legacy. And usually those legacies you never, you never know about, but you hope that they're there and you hope that they live on after, after you've disappeared. Last one, Bex. If you were to go for dinner with any three leaders or three people in history, who would, uh, who would you go out for a meal and a glass of wine with? Oh, well, one would be um, Michelle Obama. Uh, read her book, watched her documentary, love her. I think she would be a great laugh to have a glass of wine with. Um, Rita Pearson, she does, uh, she's, um, I, don't think she's, I don't think she's alive anymore, but hypothetically, I would love to sit with her and have a cup of tea and a chat about being a champion. If you, if you haven't seen her TED talk, um, Every Kid Needs a Champion, it's well worth a watch. I'd love to sit down with her. Um, and Jacinda Arden, for me, um, following her at the moment, just loving her leadership, loving what she's doing and how she's led the country through this crisis uh, with empathy and, and compassion. Um, and I guess if I was gonna stick a token, token guy in there, 
uh, Michelle could bring her husband. <laughs> As a plus one. Just the yeah, plus one. <laughs> I don't even get a seat at the table. What's going on? <laughs> you can make us a cup of tea, love. You can make you make good Yorkshire tea. You can make the tea. Alan will be waiting the table. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll put the link for Rita Pearson's video that you talked about there. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much. I thoroughly enjoyed that. An absolutely enlightening chat. And I'm sure for anybody going into leadership, it'd be useful. And especially for females, I, I think a lot of what you spoke about there, they, they can, you know, females will be able to resonate with. But not only that, take a lot of courage from them. And, and that's brilliant. And, and thank you very much for, for spending your time with us. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys. Um, I think that what you're doing here is, is marvellous. It's just a, a great collaboration between leaders and learners. So thank you very much for, for having me. Thank you. See you next <laughs> in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.